morning services here at Bethel Baptist. Glad to see each and every one of you all here. Glad to see you guys make it out. And uh, just looking forward to the message that Brother Jim has prepared this hour. Um, those of you joining us on the live stream, welcome. Happy to have you. Happy to have you listening with us. Hopefully, uh, bear with us as we've, we've got some audio adjustments that we're, that we're trying out. So, so forgive me if they're, if they're a, little, uh, a little off. Um, so we'll try to work through those, but nonetheless, happy to be able to serve the Lord, happy to be able to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started with the song services today, and our first tune will be hymn number 113, Blessed Assurance, hymn number 113. <laughs> Thank you. 
26 are able to join me in standing for this one. September the 13th after the evening services on Wednesdays. And then our next uh, prayer breakfast at Grace Baptist Church also hosts uh, every month will be on September the 9th at 9 a.m. And then the next Lord's Supper we're planning on having here will be October the 29th following our afternoon service. So mark those dates down in your calendars um, and your ledgers and your books on a piece of paper on the refrigerator. However you uh, go about remembering things, uh, but uh, truly is uh, just a blessing to be able to to be in the house of the Lord uh, all hours of the day and and different days other than just on Sundays. And we're just thankful that um, these uh, these places host these. Um, it's a big it's a big uh, thing that Grace Baptist does every Grace Baptist Church does every uh, every month with that prayer breakfast. Um, so. Um, but the prayer requests, as I mentioned during Sunday school, um, praise the Lord for answering prayer with uh, Brother John and, and his granddaughter, uh, and Kira Thomas. Uh, 
thankful just because that was a she's young, she's still in high school, so um, a lot of life yet to live, and I know that the Lord does all things perfect in His time, but uh, we do we do think especially for, for young children that uh, the challenges they face, the challenges that the parents face. Um, continue to pray over young Titus Massey, um, his his family, um, just for the. I think it's a heart transplant. Is, I think is what he's needing. Um, I think that's what Brother Tim um, says that it is. Just he's had medical issues uh, from birth, so just pray over uh, that family, the Massey family, um, and continue to pray over Brother Tim as his uh, as his. I think it's his hip and his leg and his back. Um, that they just continue to heal. Um, they are vacationing with family, um, so glad that they're able to to get away. Um, hopefully. Hoping they're coming back soon, only because it's supposed to be really hot. I think they're in Florida, and it's going to be even hotter down there. So, uh, Brother Tim, if you're watching the service, stay uh, stay safe uh, with everything, uh, and then uh, just continue to pray for others that are on a prayer list. Uh, uh, Brother Jim and his his continued recovery from his uh, his surgery. Um, Valerie Harris, um, Sister Jones' daughter, uh, Bobby Horn, Caitlin Epperson, Dolores Cassidy. Um, and Jeff Kemper, Paul Edwards, Jason White, uh, Angela Gray, Tom McDonald, just many names that uh, that a lot of us know. Um, and it is a blessing to see Sister Vicki back with us. I hadn't had a chance to say hello to her, but she's back with us today. It's wonderful to see her. And um, Sister, you and Brother Tony being missed, is, it truly is not the same without you all. So I'm glad to see both of you all here. Um, and all of our church congregations, blessing to be able to see each and every one of you all here. Um, we're a small congregation, so we we see when our our family's not here. And uh, I'm glad to see that she's here. It looks like she's in good spirits because she's she's smiling at me. So so it's uh, glad that she's here. It looks like she's feeling better. Um, continue to pray over just those that uh, that may be um, experiencing this upcoming heat wave. Just those that are without. Just pray that the Lord just uses his people there just to help um, uh, pray for those that serve our country and brother Derek and uh, the service that he does for our country past present and future whatever they may be we're just thankful for men like him those that serve our, uh, our communities by keeping us safe local law enforcement firefighters EMS we're just thankful that we live in a country that has uh, an honest people that look to serve and give their lives for us um, for our freedoms and we're thankful to be able to freely uh, Worship and serve the Lord. So, pray for Brother Jim for the message that he has this hour. Um, any brother have anybody else that I have? Mike and Wendy, as they're visiting family down in Western Kentucky, uh, pray over them and their safety and their travels home. I know that Brother Casey is uh, traveling for work. I think he's right now in Western Kentucky as well, but I think he'll be in Nashville a couple, couple days uh, next week. So, pray over just uh, his travels and anybody else who might be traveling. Brother, have anybody else? Uh, well, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord and a word of prayer at this time. If you would, Brother Derek, would you lose? Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, once again thank you for blessing us with a place where we can come and worship you and, and just uh, take some time out of our busy days and just, just clear our minds of all the things that are going on in the world and just focus on you and your word. And, and Father, we just pray that you open up our hearts to receive thy word and open up our minds to understand it and 
how can we apply it in our lives just to, uh, to honor and glorify you for all the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And Father, we just pray that you uh, be with our services today and be with Brother Jim as he brings the, the message of the day. And, and, and Father, then we pray that if there is any that here that is not saved, that you open up their hearts to receive it, whereby they would trust and believe you as their Savior. Father, we just pray for those that are not here, those that are traveling, those that are sick, and we just give you all the honor and glory for the prayers that you did answer for those that were sick and, and you healed. And, and Father, we just ask that you just uh, continue to watch over us, lead and guide and direct our lives in every way. Father, we just pray for forgiveness for our sins and the ways we have fallen short of thy glory. Lead and guide and direct us in every way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll sing one more hymn, and then Brother John has a special. Um, uh, final hymn for uh, that will be hymn number 178, The Regions Beyond. Hymn number 178. Two. 
hymns in it, something for thee, and also I gave my life for thee. Savior. Amen. And ask God's blessing on the services today and those that were mentioned on the on our prayer list. We don't really get to mention everyone on there. We have them on our bulletin and, and uh, the list is fairly long. But pray for one another. Pray for the services today that God would indeed uh, be glorified. Turn your Bibles to the letter to the Romans by Paul. Chapter 9, I hope to finish up chapter 9, perhaps in this message, maybe maybe not, but uh, we're at least going to read from verse 14 
to the end of the chapter. We spoke last time about Jacob being loved and Esau being hated by God. Then we see here the, the answer that Paul gives. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings upon us today. And we ask you, Lord, to go with us through this service. We are standing on that promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, that there you are in the midst. So be with this church, be with those that are traveling, those who are not feeling well. Lord, watch over our other churches of like faith and practice and bless them today. In Jesus' name we pray. The Bible says in Psalms 14 and verse 1, it's a psalm of David, and he says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So an atheist is called a fool here. And he says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. You think, well, how much worse could a person be than an atheist? I think the apostle here points out some things that I believe, whether you agree or not, that are worse than atheism. There is one place I read, and I didn't include this, but it, I believe it's so. I've got three things, at least, that are worse than atheism, and one of them is to defy God. That would be a fourth thing. To defy God? Are you serious? Yeah. Isn't that what Lucifer did? So I want to talk to you this morning about some things that are worse than atheism. And, and I, I stand actually before you all. You all have known me here for many years and, and perhaps some of you online. But I stand before you here as a messenger of God or a messenger of Satan. Actually, I do. And I must be one or the other. I can't serve two masters. He that is not with me, Christ said, is against me. And then it is written also uh, by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And he said, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed in the Galatians. And, and we're to be watchmen as uh, ambassadors, uh, diplomats. Uh, we're called uh, those called to represent God in this world through the gospel. And and. If, not, if I don't preach the gospel that we find in the Bible, if I don't preach the gospel that Paul preached, there's a curse laying over me, hanging over my head. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. So it puts me in a position, and anyone who stands before you to declare the word of God is in a very, what? It's an awful responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility. And, and many times, and no wonder the prophets of old spoke 
of the message they carried to the to the people as uh, and the responsibility of delivering it was the burden of the word of the Lord. You know, God's servants are set by him as watchmen over men's souls and responsible to God for faithfully instructing eternity-bound sinners in the way of life and the way of salvation, and that by Christ. So as we hear the word of God, and that from the mouth of God, through his word, so we must speak. The Bible says, Ezekiel said, and, and that to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And we must add nothing or take nothing away from the word of God. He that hath my word, let him speak it faithfully, Jeremiah said. So those who dare to stand in this place and speak to eternity-bound men and women as a steward of the mysteries of God, they must be faithful to the word of God first, to the gospel of God, of course, to the glory of God, and that to the souls of men. Now, after studying this passage for a while and the opposition that it brings, it sets up quite a bit of opposition in, in the religious realm. I call upon you who hear me to compare every word I speak with the word of God. You know, the Bereans were called Christians. And they were noble because they searched the scripture daily to see what they were being taught was uh, as thus saith the Lord. So it's a, it's a noble thing to, I don't, I'm not easily offended. If there's something you disagree with me, something you see a little differently, we'll, we'll discuss it. And if you hear me, and you hear it, and you believe it's the word of God, any of the one who speaks, anyone who speaks from this pulpit, if you believe it's the word of God, obey it and rejoice in it. If it's not God, it's not of God, don't hear me. Never hear me again. Run me off. If it's not of God, it would bring harm to your soul. So that which I've experienced in my soul in the operation of grace, and we live in a realm of grace, and those and that has been proved by faith, God has given me those things. It's not a theory, it's not an opinion, it's not a conjecture, it's it's not Baptist doctrine, it's not Catholic doctrine is not Pentecostal or Presbyterian or Arminian. It's not even Calvin doctrine. It's Bible doctrine. If it's not Bible doctrine, don't hear me. So I ask you to be that, to do that. That's a request that I make to you. I pray that it would be 
And what I speak would be to the comfort, edification, and everlasting salvation of your soul. It's the eternal things we speak of here. It's my heart's desire that those of you who believe Christ may be instructed. Those of you who trust Jesus Christ may be uh, comforted and edified by the word of God. And I pray the Spirit of God would teach us some things, some more about our God. Because he indeed is an awesome God. There are divine attributes. I find a list. I'm going to study. I'm sure you look uh, for many books. A divine attribute is a quality or a feature regarded as a characteristic or an inherent, inherent part of someone. So divine attributes are attributes, or they're characteristics that are God, belong to God only. And we know that God is spirit. And we know there's a Holy Spirit. I'm just saying he is God too. But, but God is spirit, he's eternal, he's immutable, and he's independent. God is holy, he's wise, and he's good in an infinite way. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, he's all-knowing, omniscient, and he's everywhere, omnipresent. And God is just, he's true, he's faithful. God is love, he's merciful, and he's gracious, he's long-suffering, compassionate, and he's forgiving. And there are, are these attributes of God. They may be some shared with others, but, but not the fine, infinite attributes. But there's a, there are characteristics of God's nature. There are attributes of his being that all religious people, I should say, All religious people, can I say that? They actually, most of them believe this about God. He is, a, he is a God that has all these characteristics. They recognize him. And maybe I should say fundamental religionists. I'm not sure. There's so many out there going every way. What I would say is all, uh, both Baptists and Methodists uh, believe these things. Even the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals, they believe these things. Uh, and many of the Camelites, maybe a few of the Russellites, the Seventh-day Adventists, they, they believe that this is the very nature of God. And everyone who, every man, woman, boy, or girl who professes to believe in God, they will tell you, yeah, these things are true of God. But there's another attribute of God, and it's something altogether probably ignored by most of the religious world today, and the fact they actually despise it, though they go on singing, oh how I love Jesus, with 
with their faces beaming. But when the preacher dares to tell them that this attribute is at the very core of his being, that it's essential to his very nature, they may become enraged. There's one attribute of God's being that distinguishes him from all the imaginary gods of man. In fact, if you read the book of God one more time, thinking about this, you'll find that this is the attribute of his being which God most of the time identifies himself with. In the book of Psalms 115, it says, it says uh, again there in verse 6, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all the deep places. So I'm telling you this morning that God is totally sovereign in all his dealings. The God of this Bible, the one true and living God, the God we worship, the God we trust, the God we love, the God that gives us comfort, is an absolute sovereign. He's in con total control of all things, at all times, always performing his will and his pleasure. He's either sovereign or he's an idol. Our Lord God absolutely is universally sovereign. In the plainest, boldest terms possible, we worship a sovereign God. He is sovereign. He's, I declared that he is God. There's nothing above him. Nothing can control him. He is God Almighty. He has the right and the power to do what he wills, when he wills, and with whom he wills. He's God. Many of the gods so-called of this apostate age, whom they think is God, Jehovah, trying to be represented from the pulpits of the modern-day religionists, in this generation could well be described by Isaiah when he said in chapter 45 verse 20 they pray unto a God that cannot save. So modern religion has set aside the sovereignty of God to make room for the autonomy of man. Today men everywhere deny the sovereignty of God with his will in order to exalt their imaginary freedom of man's will. The fact is, God is of this of this unlightened, I should say, but enlightened age, this 21st century. You find them preaching a weak, helpless, frustrated, effeminate idol that would command the respect of no one. The God of the modern pulpit is an object of pity rather than reverence. Oh, poor little Jesus. Why don't you let him into your heart? He wants so badly to save you. 
you just learn. Just allow it. Isn't that what's being preached today? That God, the fact is, they preach that God loves everyone alike, and, and yet some still die and go to hell and perish <coughs> under the everlasting torment of God. If, if he loves everyone like that, then love, his love is meaningless. It's, ir, it's irreverent, irrelevant also. Christ died for all men alike. If he, if he shed his blood to redeem all men, and some are not redeemed, then what use is his blood? It's meaningless. If God the Holy Spirit is trying to save all men by the operation of his grace through the word, and some are not saved, his grace is meaningless. Yet those are the very things by which the God of this age is most commonly described. The God of the Bible is an absolute sovereign. It is written of him, all things are of God. You can take that just as far as you want. God is sovereign in creation. In, in the book of Proverbs, it says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God is sovereign in providence. Matthew eleven twenty. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. For those that love God are the called according to his purpose. I could quote many verses. God is sovereign in salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Romans 9, 14 through 33 will show us that. And that's what Romans 9 is all about, is the sovereignty of God in salvation. In verse 10 through 13, and not only this, Romans 9, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, verse 11 says, for the children being not yet born, still in their mother's womb, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. He, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So here we have not only this, what uh, Rebecca had uh, conceived, we have the fact that that, that in plain and unmistakable terms, God shows his absolute sovereignty in election. The rest of the chapter, verse 14 through 33, he replies to the complaints of the unbelieving, unregenerate rebel. He, he, he replies to the, to the fact of God's sovereignty and, and saving whom he will. You look at verse, these verses together, and you'll see how the Holy Spirit shows us three things that are worse than atheism. Three things that are worse than atheism. 
And I believe that God being charged with unrighteousness. Here's the first thing that Paul says before us, verse 14 through 18. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, because of this, it is, it, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he, will, he hardeneth. You understand that, that this is the first thing that Paul brings down here. Rather than bowing to God, those who even believe there is a God, rather than bowing to his sovereignty, the unbelieving, unregenerate regenerate man or woman, they charge the Holy Lord God with unrighteousness. God's unrighteous. How, how could you be? How could there be a God like that? And, and we see how that, that he stated God's unconditional election. And by divine inspiration, he, he demonstrates the obvious truthfulness of that sweet and blessed doctrine. He said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, the Bible says. And we are bound, the Bible says, to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Verse 14, what shall we then say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So that's blasphemy. How would a man dare, a fallen, simple man, how could he charge the holy Lord God with unrighteousness? A righteous God. He, in God loving Jacob and hating Esau, he chose one, he rejected the other. And when the choice was made before, neither Jacob nor Esau had been born. And yet having not any done, done any good or evil, they had no hand in the business, one way or the other. The whole matter was performed according to God's sovereign will and his eternal purpose. There is nothing among the unregenerate, unbelieving that will excite their hatred more like the declaration of God's sovereignty and exercise of his grace. Every son, every daughter of Adam, when the un, while in an unrenewed state, in an unregenerate state, with an unregenerate mind, they raise up in rebellion against it, 
yet I have never met a man or woman anywhere who dares not demand the right of sovereignty for themselves. Have you ever met someone that said, well, you can't tell me who my friends are. You can't tell me what I can do. I'm my own person. I have a right to choose my own companions. I have a right to choose my friends. I have the right to do what I want when I want to. That's a natural man. But yet they'll charge God with unrighteousness for having the same mind. This, the matter stands. It must stand, it will stand for eternity. Secondly, I need to hurry, charging God with injustice. <coughs> Here, Paul sets before us, in verse 19 through 29, something worse than atheism because rather than bowing to God on his throne these lost rebels these religious or irreligious they charge God with injustice verse 19 and 20 thou wilt say then unto me why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will nay but, old man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So here's the impudence of the fallen rebel in, the, in its utmost height. It's at its pinnacle. With these words, the apostle was inspired by God to display man's utter contempt for God. How dare any man charge God with injustice? Shall mortal man be more just than God? The question was asked in Job chapter 4. Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Job 4, 17. <clears throat> Deuteronomy says there in 32.4, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. This is our God. He says he is just and right. The psalmist tells us in 89.14, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. I can't emphasize it enough that God is always just in all of his dealings, in all of his ways. The sacrifice of Christ is just. Punishing the ungodly is just. No one goes to hell because of Adam's sin alone. We are sinners. And sinners without repentance and faith go to hell because of their own sin. He's the sovereign potter. 
hath not the potter power over the clay? Verse 21. Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Nothing could be more satisfactory than answer to man's blasphemy than the illustration given of the potter and the clay. Isaiah 64 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art the potter, and we all are the work of thy hands. God's sovereignty stands just where it did from the everlasting. Despite all that has been said and all that has been written against it, God is not accountable to his creatures for the conduct of himself, for the choices he makes, for the purpose that he brings to pass. It's enough to know that God cannot do wrong. He is righteous in all his ways. And it gives us reason to rejoice. Because Paul refers to back to the prophets of Hosea and Isaiah in verse 25 through 29. He gives saved sinners reason to rejoice and to give thanks to our triune God. And, and that where he says to Hosea, who's Hosea, I will call them my people which are not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You're not my people. There shall be, they, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work, will cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we had been as Sodom, and we had been made like unto Gomorrah. So it's clear, it's crystal clear, it's obvious. There's a big distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. The psalmist said in 39.9, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. And thirdly, this up. This is the third thing that I believe Paul sets before us that is something worse than, worse than atheism. Verse 30. Rather than trusting Christ for righteousness, these lost rebels, these religious or irreligious, whichever you want to look at, seek righteousness before God by their own works. Romans 9.30 says, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness is which of faith, which is a faith, 
But Israel hath followed after the law of righteousness, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but by, as it were, the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So we have our hope, and the, the only way a sinner can obtain that righteousness is set forth here. Paul starts chapter 5, with, or chapter 10, with, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. To know that you need to be righteous before God, to know that you need to be holy, and try to establish that apart from God is worse than atheism. The only way a sinner can obtain righteousness <coughs> is through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The faith of Christ and faith in Christ. There's only one way for a sinner to meet the doctrine of election. There's only one way for a sinner to approach the God of all grace. There's only one way for the sinner to approach a God who sits upon the throne of absolute sovereignty that is just in all of his ways. There's only one hope for your poor soul. Well, what a good hope it is. You must come to God by Christ on your knees, repenting of your sins, on your face in the dust, bowing before his sovereign majesty and pleading through the blood of his dear son. We have examples of this in the word of God. The publican, Luke 18, verse 13 says, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just like the leper in Matthew chapter 8. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him and, and said, Lord, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me whole. You have to realize you're lost, you're a sinner, you stand before a thrice holy God. You must repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the only way you can gain that righteousness. That's the only way that you can know that you're one of God's elect, and that you're dealing with a just and holy God. May God enable us to, to be able to preach this and teach it to others. I think it's more dangerous to think that you believe in God and not the true God. There are false gods, there are false Christs. It's more dangerous to trust in them than it is to be an atheist. Both will end up in the same place. But if you know, and, and you look at Matthew, he talk, talks about uh, 
those that said we've done many wonderful works and in your and in your name we've done all these things but he said I'll depart depart from me I never knew you the only way you can know God is through Jesus Christ and trusting him in this shed blood brother Cam would you come and lead us in a closing hymn lead us in a closing hymn and we'll
Amen. 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 Amen.